Welcome sports fans to the hottest sports podcast in the game, JT and the Don, with your hosts, Jimmy Thompson and Donato Bucci. They're covering the most current issues in sports from the 305 to the 412 and all the way to the West Coast. You can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at JT and the Don or email them at JTandTheDon at gmail.com. Now take it away, guys. Welcome back to the next episode of JT and the Don. I am the Don of sports, Donato Bucci. And remember to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio app, and whatever platform you find all of your other favorite podcasts. Let me bring in everyone's favorite, Jimmy Thompson, JT. How you feeling today? Not as good as Patrick Mahomes' bank account right now. That's Damn. for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> Damn, well, five, $500 million man. Well, you know what? You said it, so let's get right into the main event. Let's first go to the biggest headline in sports this week. And that, JT, you said it was in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs agreed to a 10-year contract extension That will begin in 2022 and run until 2031. He currently has two years remaining on his rookie contract. So it's essentially a 12-year contract worth 500 or up to Mm -hmm. 503 million with 477 million of it in guarantee mechanisms. And that includes already a $10 million signing bonus. So JT, What is your reaction to this deal, given the fact that Mahomes, for now, is in Kansas City for the next 12 years? Well, my my initial thought is, you can explain this to the listeners. What are mechanisms? So the guarantee mechanisms uh, for the listeners at home is language in a contract designed to trigger an amount, and a certain amount of guaranteed money at a particular time and date. So... For this instance, JT here, the Chiefs have to guarantee each of his salaries, all right, and roster bonuses. And that's really where the guarantees come in, the roster bonuses, by the third day of each new league year. So usually about March 3rd, all right? So for example, uh, by 2027, the beginning of the 2027 league year, if they have him on the roster that third that third league day he's already locked in for 2028 guaranteed all right cool so everybody who's listening he had to say it like an attorney but you get what he's trying to say so those are that's what mechanism basically means. jt if he's on the roster the one year it automatically gets paid for the next year no matter what happens that one year so basically mahomes got a two for one Every yeah. time that every time that one of these mechanisms goes into place, three three for one, the first five years of the deal. Okay, that's not bad. All right, so now that we know what mechanisms are, so let's go to the actual deal. And to me, it's just like every other NFL deal. When you peel it back and look at it, it's really not as groundbreaking as it seems. Because as soon as this broke, you know, we talked about this, and the first thing we always ask is two things. One, how much of it is fully guaranteed? And then two, how much does he get at signing? Which we'll get to a little bit later. But let's just stick with the fully guaranteed part. $145 million, million is only fully guaranteed. And if you look at this contract on paper, 
you see this big $503 million number, you see only $145 million guaranteed. To be honest with you, I'm not the best math person in the world, but I think that's just under 30% of the full contract is guaranteed. So it's really not that much when you consider other people that have gotten paid at that position that are not nearly as good as he is. Kirk Cousins got his contract 100% fully guaranteed. Yes, it was for a shorter period of time, but it still was 100%. Andrew Luck, I think he got close to 50 or something like that. It was a really high number when he got his new deal and extension. It was like that close to being that much guaranteed money. And then the second part that really stood out to me was the $45 million annual average, which right now it seems good, but I mean, you know what's naturally going to happen. A salary cap's going to increase. And even right now, that's only 10 million above, I think, what, Rus what Russell Wilson is making. So when I see this big $500 million number, that doesn't really seem like that much. And then, of course, I know you're probably going to say this as well. The length of the deal to me was unusual, especially for an NFL contract. And it just showed that he is opting for legacy and security over the potential to reset the market again in four or five years when the cap rises. So you just look at the history of NFL contracts that are this long. They don't happen that often. And the players never end up staying with the team for whatever reason. I think Vic was the last person to do it in 04. And what, only like five of the guys have done it. None of those guys last the full amount of that contract length of the team. So it's just, it was just weird that he chose this route. And then to me, like you really did a good job of explaining what mechanisms really mean. But even the mechanism part to me is kind of tricky because you look at uh, Todd Gurley's contract when he signed that extension, which you hate with the Rams. He had mechanisms in his contract and look what happened to him. They were able to get rid of him pretty fast. The only thing that I will say that I'm glad that Mahomes' agent was able to do was kind of how you explained that there's a three-for-one initially and then there's a two-for-one down the road after 2027. So at least he has that. But no, after, than, after, after 2025. 2025. Not that, it's not that far, yeah. So even with all that being said, I really thought that whenever Mahomes was up for his deal and it got done, it was just going to be so ridiculous that basically NFL franchises were going to go broke. And it didn't. It didn't, you know, destroy the market. It didn't, you know, change history for me as far as NFL contracts. It didn't substantially change anything. So that was my initial reaction. So my reaction is, well, one, I don't necessarily agree with you in terms of you looking at the percentage of guarantee to his full contract. And I'll tell you why. If someone offers me a $1 billion contract and says, hey, only 45% of it's guaranteed, guess what? That's $450 million. So if your contract- I know we're, I know we're being picky here. Obviously, no, no, no. I would take, I would take no. the 28% of $500 million. Exactly. That's my whole point. So who cares that golf, that- Cousins got 100% of it, which is 90, I care if, which is I care if I'm million. Patrick Mahomes. I'm way but, better than But Cousins. what do you care about percentage when Cousins gets $90 million because that's 100% of his contract, and you are essentially getting $60 million more? Granted, it's over 12 years, but get who cares? You at still least, get 100 Hold on. At least you get still get 50%. You still what, – what's the percentage matter? It depends on how much you get. Again – even if I get 50% of a billion, that's 500 million. If your contract's for 200 million and it's fully guaranteed, I'm still taking home 300 million more. Who cares about percentages? 
It's the actual amount of money you're taking home. He still gets 145 million. And and I'll get to the I'll get to the 145 million even a little bit later or 141 guaranteed. But this is my initial reaction. The mechanisms are huge. All right. Again, we need to explain this. JT, each third day of the new league year locks them in for an additional two years. So again, March 3rd, 2022 comes around. If Mahomes is still on the locker or on the roster, he's going to get paid for 2022, 2023, 2024. Think about that. So what's it matter that guarantees a certain percentage? He, he needs to play. He needs to be on the roster one year to be paid for three years, no matter what, no matter what. So he like, he can never lose that. Once he's on the roster in 2022, he's good until 2024. He, that can never change, all right? And this was the other thing I was thinking was that the Chiefs, all right, had to make this move now. You know me. I don't oh, like we, paying. We talked about this because I, he had to – we said he had – they had to do this move before Bill O'Brien messed it up. <laughs> Bill O'Brien or JT, the Cowboys at this point. The Cowboys have messed up the DAC contract in negotiating so much that – the Chiefs were, I think, just as worried about Bill O'Brien or as, as much about the Cowboys as they were Bill O'Brien because you've got Deshaun and Dak and then Lamar coming up. Not to say the Ravens would mess that up, but if either one of those three sign and it's for $45 million a year, guess what? Mahomes is going to want 50 to 55 a year now. We think so, he will. <laughs> so that is why, listen, when you've got the best quarterback in the game right now, it's okay to set the market. You actually want to set the market because now you're dictating the terms. Unlike when you got the, but also when you got the best quarterback in the game where money is not everything personally to him, that's a real advantage. That, that helps. That helps. And to be honest, the other thing is the structure leads me to believe that he's probably going to play about the first six years of this deal. And then they're going to renegotiate anyway. Blow it up and do it because again. Because of those guarantee mechanisms because those will start to kick in year by year at that point. And I think he comes back, it's another big deal and it gets front loaded. Uh -huh. So, all right. So now that we got our initial reactions out of the way, JT, this is really the big question. All right. This is what everyone wants to know from you. Who got the better end of this deal, Mahomes or the chiefs? And I feel like I know which way you're going. Well, I'll tell you what you just, just, be Nostradamus and tell me where I'm going. I think you're going to say the Chiefs. Damn, you're good. See, yeah, see that's why I do this show with you, because you're a genius. That's the, also the only time I'll give you a compliment. All right, all right. Quit, quit uh, pampering. But, yeah, Let's go. It's, the, it's the Chiefs. And you just look at the way they put this whole thing together. They knew who they had to deal with in Mahomes. Different type of kid. Probably want, end up being one of the greatest of all time. But I just look at little things that they put into this contract that – as much as they're going to be on the hook in, in pieces of a time, like down the road, it's really kind of safe for them the way they set this up. Because if you just look at initially, so we always talk about what's that number, how much was guaranteed at signing. So you look at where he was before he signed this extension. He was scheduled to make $27.6 million on his rookie deal in 2020 and in 2021, which is including that fifth-year option. But what he essentially did was he traded it in for $63 million that was going to be due at signing. But here's the thing. Because of the way they did this extension, 
he's really only getting $35 million in new full guarantees right now. So first, they they sort of, you know, shrunk what they're going to owe him over the next two years. They gave him a little bit of more, uh, more guarantees now, but it's less overall for the next two years. And then you look at that contract, once the rookie contract would have expired, there were two things that I thought that they did that were really important. One was, you love this kind of stuff. They tied most of Mahomes' future guaranteed money into those mechanisms that you just described. So essentially to me, what that allows them to do is to see where they stand with him basically on an annual basis. Now, yes, if, if, they're, gonna, if they're gonna do it for one year, it locks in for three, and then at some point it locks in for two. But, if, but basically what they can do is they can evaluate him year to year. And then also too, you mentioned in 2027 when things start to get you know more expensive, they can also convert his salary into a signing bonus if they get cap strapped. Because if you look at the contract in 2027 is when, like you said, his base salary starts to get really, really high. And that's also when the roster bonuses start to decrease. So let's say if they wanted to take the base salary and convert it into a roster bonus to get more cap space, they can essentially just pull $10 million out of cap space out of thin air, which I think is a really, really good, like a safety net for them. And to me, after they do that, if you think about it, I think his cap number could be somewhere around as low as like two to $3 million. So if you got that kind of leverage in a deal that's supposed to be that big, and it's probably with one of the best players of all time, and he's just getting better, you got to say that the Chiefs won because I think what they can do with the converting the signing bonus of cap space to a signing bonus, they can do that for up to five years or whenever the deal ends, whichever comes first. So to me, whoever orchestrated this deserves whatever. I know they got awards for people that put together contracts and cap space. That person deserves that award for three more years. So you finally, you finally, all right, did your homework with the, that, with the that contracts. That means he ain't got nothing to say. Oh, I do. Oh, I do. I just, I'm applauding you. I, can I not applaud you for that? That's I good feel stuff. Like, I feel like something bad is about to happen. Go ahead. <laughs> so, Everything you said is great. So that's why I think both sides did a great job, right? The Chiefs still have them under contract two more years at a reasonable price that they can still spend money on to try to win the next two years, all right? And even beyond that, they at least now know what his cap hit is going to be so they can plan for the future. Unlike who? The Cowboys. Unlike who? The Texans, right? Like, there's no way right now they can try to formulate a plan around Dak or Deshaun because they don't know if they're going to be there one and two, they don't know what the salary cap hits going to be year to year. Whereas now the chiefs know, so they can plan for that and they can try to see who they can resign and who they can bring in as a free agent. Now, if I had to pick a winner though, JT, I'm going to go opposite Mahomes. Initially I thought the chiefs, but this is why I say Mahomes. He wanted two things, right? One security, the money. He got it. Regardless of what you say, $141 million guaranteed, injury or no injury, that is a lot, JT. He saw what happened to Alex Smith. He has seen what can happen. And guess what? Doesn't matter. $141 million, that is a ton. That takes care of years of family uh, and generations of family, all right? So 
and not that he needed it because he comes from a background that his dad was a pitcher, right? So not that he needed that money, but listen, who does not want 141 million guaranteed? All right. But you, so, but but it but you're right. It does you got to take into account that his, his parents had money too. It's, a, it's right. the Andrew Luck syndrome. His dad had money too, and it right. was just but, really all about football for him. But, right, it is. But at the same time, $141 million guaranteed, he's got that security, right? He can go play and not have to ever worry about needing to do anything else again. Two, he talked about legacy and wanting to stay with the Chiefs. Now he's been able to do that and possibly build on the legacy because he signed a contract well in advance, and now they can plan around that. But this is the big thing. I disagree with you with certain things because I still think it's going to be really hard to cut him because the mechanisms. And that's why I think halfway through this contract, he essentially gets an extension if, if everything stays as, as, as normal right here. He's healthy and he's balling out the way he is because year to year then with these mechanisms, right, they can't cut him. Every third year of the league, not only – so let's say 2027 comes around. Guess what? You have him on the roster, March 3rd, 2027. It's guaranteed – it's already been guaranteed that year. Now, 2028 comes around, it's already guaranteed because he was on the roster in 2027. So you have two years of dead cap money. If, if he gets hurt, first preseason game of 2027, can never play again, you're on the hook for two years. Go look at those roster bonuses, JT. They add up to 80 million. 80 million. They can't cut him. It's dead cap. Like he's he's getting 80 million because of the roster bonuses. So that's why I love the deal for him. You, you well, I think well, I think where it becomes hard for the Chiefs in that respect is when you're evaluating whether or not you want to take him on for those two or three additional years at a time. You gotta you gotta think to yourself, is he the Mahomes that's an MVP and won us a Super Bowl? Or he is he the number six through number eight rated quarterback in the league? And that's where I think for the Chiefs, that's a real tough place to be in because you signed this man to this half a billion dollar contract, essentially. You signed him to make history, be the that guy, the top guy in the league, essentially for the next 10 years. If he for whatever reason falls off a cliff, gets hurt, is not the same, but he's still top 10 in the league, that's where I think the decision becomes difficult for the Chiefs. But JT, there's no decision. They can't do anything about it. He has a no trade clause. And then 2026, right? That's six, that, that would be six seasons away, technically. Six seasons away. Going into 2026, even if he's fringe, still top three, they sign him, right? Not that they sign him, they keep him on the roster. He gets paid guaranteed 2026 and 2027 roster bonus. Here's the numbers. 38.9 for 2026. These are roster bonuses. And then 2027, 49.4. If he is on the roster, March 3rd, 2026, he gets basically 39 million and 49 and a half million. There, nothing they can do about it. Nothing they can do about it. He gets that money. All right. That is the difference between him and Antonio Brown. When Antonio's money was up, it's terms of guaranteed. He had no more incentives. Just couldn't do a show without talking yep. about AB. He had no more mechanisms in place if he's on the roster. And that's why he wanted a new deal. So to finish this, Please. okay, to, <laughs> to finish this, he is basically guaranteed 
let's just go to 2023. That's all. We, we will only go three years from now. If he's on the roster day three of 2023 of the, of the NFL season, $183 million's already been guaranteed total at that point. And he's still got eight more years to go. That's a pretty good amount of money for only being three years into that contract. All right. So before we move on, this will really settle the debate. Which one would you rather have? this contract that Mahomes got or Bobby Bonilla day see but that's different because it's baseball baseball contracts are always going to win out <laughs> all right so switching gears we're going to the WNBA and you may not have heard the story of Maya Moore but a uh, pretty damn good player and also a uh, social activist so at age 29 she's a four-time WNBA champion and also the 2014 league MVP she decided to step away from the game and set out the entire season. And she's also going to uh, sit out 2019 season. She sat out 2019 season. She's thinking about sitting out this season again. So last year she sat out the season in order to push for criminal justice reform and also for the release of Jonathan Irons. And if you haven't heard the story, Irons was released back in July 1st after serving 23 years of a 50 year prison sentence. He was released after a judge overturned his conviction on charges of burglary and assault. So in addition to that, uh, Atlanta Dreams player Renee Montgomery is also sitting out this season and taking the page out of the Maya Moore book, and she's going to focus on social justice issues as well. Uh, on top of that, the WNBA as a league has negotiated the terms of a restart to the league, including issues related to Black Lives Matter messaging on the players' jerseys, similar to what they're doing in the NBA. So, Don, I want your reactions and thoughts on the WNBA just to me seeming like they're being the forefront as far as societal change. So first, I want to applaud Maya Moore for what she has done. I don't think in sports media or on even the national news that she gets enough attention and credit for what she did. Because, JT, imagine in your prime, I don't care if you're female or male. It doesn't matter. Imagine in your prime of your illustrious career, you leave for at least two seasons now. At least two seasons. I, for... I, oh, I agree with you. It's crazy because I remember when she sat out the first time, that story came up and I was like, wow, that's I've never seen anybody do that. And then I feel like that story just went away. Right. I feel like it didn't come up until just recently again. So I, I agree. And you know, she said she's going to sit out at least two seasons now for a cause that is is not related to a, a sports contract or an injury or anything to do with the sport. Right. It's not personal so, for her. So, not, well, not like well, directly personal. Well, it kind of is because one of her relatives had a connection to him. But you're mm -hmm. right. Like this is not a blood relative or anything. Mm -hmm. So you're right there. Now, I don't know if I'd be able to walk away from. So in terms of the sport. So like, that's why I, I applaud her because that was a really tough decision. But at the end of the day, it's the, it was the right decision, right? She basically saved someone's life in, mm -hmm. in that. And that's the most important thing. So going back to the WNBA being at the forefront, you know, according to statistics, 83% of the WNBPA members are persons, and this is how they have it listed, are persons of color and 67% are are black so a total of 67 percent are are black not of the 83 not necessarily of the 83 percent so 
the league realizes two-thirds of its players are black and they need to support and take time to understand their players. And that's exactly what they're doing. These are important issues to the players in the league. All right. And if the NBA, if the WNBPA wants messages on jerseys, like what does it hurt? Like what I mean is this was agreed upon by both sides. All right. And to me, and I know this isn't necessarily what you were asking JT, but we're going to get to it eventually. So I'm kind of talking about it now. To me, it's not a political statement. Like it is about human lives that were lost unnecessarily and for players to have their voice heard, right? So people tell them, meaning the players, not to protest because of large crowds and COVID, but then they're not supposed to put messages on their jerseys because I know what the other side is saying that doesn't want the WNBPA to be out there in the forefront is, you know, don't put political statements on the jerseys. All I'm saying is I don't think those are political statements. Plus, both sides agree to it. And that's a huge difference. I agree with everything you said 100%. And just to add on to that, I think this is a great way for all the other sports leagues, especially the men's sports leagues. This is what a league that's majority black players and has a good number of not just black, but minority influences, people of people's voices in, you know, positions of power and influence, you know, they're out there setting, setting the example, being at the forefront of change, you know, showing what you should be doing in your community as far as sacrifice, being a leader and things like that. So I applaud Maya Moore. I applaud Renee Montgomery and what they're doing. And I think other people, other leagues should take notes, other athletes, especially the male ones should take notes and side note, I think this is also a reality check for those who continuously think that women don't have what it takes to be in a position of either power or leadership, because what, what these women are doing is just to me, amazing. Like, could you imagine LeBron walking or Tom Brady walking away in his prime for two years to get, to get somebody justice that they don't necessarily don't even, you know, know, or they don't have a direct connection to, you know, especially when they're making more money. So that's to me that just speaks volumes and it really is not a shock to me because not just WNBA players but just women's sports in general they've always historically fought and clawed for everything that they've they've earned they've they've always fought for you know equal pay you know equal visibility so like everything to them has always been a dogfight. so it makes sense how somebody like Maya Moore could shut down a year of her career and essentially get this person justice and be successful and also, I don't think the league is going to give them much flack because of what I said. I think that they're all on the same page as far as the players, well, some of, some of the owners, but the players, the owners, and like the commissioner, I think they're all on the same page. And that's a great thing. And then to add to that, it's about health too, because I think what's also not getting reported is there are some major stars right now in the WNBA that are considering sitting out the season just based on COVID and safety concerns alone. I mean, you look at uh, Liz Cambage, she's, they said she's probably a lock to sit out the whole season. And then the MVP who we love watching play uh, Deladon, she's kind of on the fence about, you know, am I going to play? She's waiting on more medical advice from, you know, expert doctors to see if she's going to play. And that's the league MVP. So I think just the fact that they're everything they do just seems to be responsible and well thought out. And it just makes sense why they're at the, you know, the forefront of change in society. But 
let's talk about why we're really here. So if you haven't heard it, um, Senator Kelly Loeffler, she's a co-owner of the WNBA franchise, the Atlanta Dream. Uh, she has openly opposed the league's public support of the Black Lives Matter movement. In fact, she wrote to the WNBA commissioner personally uh, saying that she adamantly opposes the Black Lives Matter political movement and that she believes it is totally misaligned with the values and goals of the WNBA and the Atlanta Dream, where they support tolerance and inclusion. Yeah. So, Donato, just break down that whole statement that Loeffler gave us. Well, I'm not going to break down the whole statement. I, I feel like that's coming from you. But I also want to note, she also wrote, because this was, this was in writing, she also wrote that we, meaning, meaning in, just in general, we need less, not more politics in sports. So that's where I kind of want to start, JT. Says the politician. Well, so that's what I was going to say. First, you are a co-owner, but a senator. Hmm. How does that not involve politics? No matter how you want to break it down, in the back of your mind, the decisions you make as a co-owner, there's that political agenda somewhere, somehow. So that should lose a lot of credibility there in terms of that statement. And also, you are using this, meaning she is, as her own political statement. Because, JT, I don't know if you know this, maybe you were going to get into this, so sorry, but she is in a tight re-election bid against fellow Republican and Congressman Doug Collins. Now, you know me, I don't like talking politics at all, and I'm not going there. All I'm saying is she's using her position, all right, to bolster her grandstanding here, all right? And she has put her own political interests over the interests of her own players on her team. Like, did she even bother to talk to any of her players about their thoughts and feelings? From her writing and her statement, doesn't seem like it. So you're telling me you're a co-owner, yet the WNBA saying she hasn't basically been governing the team since October 29, to, or I'm sorry, October 2019. 20, 2019. Yeah. She's no longer in the day-to-day -day operations, yet you want to make this statement? You're so far removed, especially what's happened the past nine, 10 months. You're so far removed from the team and your players. How do you put a statement out here like this without talking to anybody? So to me, that is terrible leadership. All right. And I, I'll let you address those actual comments. But that was the part I wanted to talk about because, you know, people always talk about less politics. And listen. Sports allows that platform. And so if she's going to say that, though, she has her own hidden agenda, which I just went over. But the worst part of it all, JT, is I truly do not believe she has spoken to one player. And I went through the statistic. 67% of WNBA players are black. I don't believe she spoke to one player on her team, on her team these past few months. Because I guarantee you, if she did, I could not imagine. Oh, they would have—they would have told her this ain't the way I, to go. Well, she wouldn't even gone to this statement because she would have already realized. Hey, maybe she would have understood this—the, the feelings and emotions and thoughts of her own players. Oh, for sure, and I agree with everything you said, one hundred percent. And to obviously, the statement was ignorant. 
but she was bold with what she said. I just I, I couldn't believe she made that statement as an owner of that team in that city. Like Atlanta is <laughs> one of, if not the, it's, it's the premier black city in the country. That team is an all black starting five. And clearly, okay. Sorry, I was going to ask you, and you, I, I'm not asking you for the answer, but my point to this question is, do we know the percentage she owns of the team? Because it just talks about co-owner. I don't think she – is she a majority owner? Because what if she has 5%? That goes to bolster my point more. If she only has 5 or 10% stake in this team and she made a statement like it, it is simply for her political agenda. That's a good point, but I'm assuming it's a, enough of a majority stake that she feels comfortable making demand, demand letters to the commissioner. So, again, I, I think that's all posturing, but yeah, all right. But no, you're no, you're absolutely right. And <laughs> I was, of course, you know, when I when I read the story, I was like, oh my gosh, here we go again. I was upset, but then I was like, you you jump straight to the political point, and that's the part that actually made me go ah okay now i get it and you're right this is all about her re-election campaign and i don't know i'll get into it a little bit later but i don't know if you watched her interview on fox news it literally is when she said um what can unite us is the flag and i was like ah here we go she's gonna play the, she's gonna play the the all four verticals play out of the trump playbook and here we go and you're exactly right she was grandstanding to her conservative base because she's up She's up for a really, really tight election. And to be honest with you, she dealt, I did not expect her to go on and double down as hard as she did, but she did. She went after just not only criticism from like the WNBA community and the sports world in general, but she got criticism from her, like you said, her own constituents, right and left. So, you know, she's up for election in November. She's trying to rally the base. And I just looked at the typical things that she said throughout that interview that I was like, this is everything that, a Trump campaign would have. She put the flag at the forefront of all her comments, uh, making it important, you know, signaling, you know, to that base about that. And then she also painted the Black Lives Matter movement in a negative light and tried to get phrases associated with the movement banned from the WBA and being used for the entire season. Also, what she's doing is just trying to get those those specific votes in that state and she's not thinking about anything else that she's done throughout her entire career and as a matter of fact you brought up uh doug collins and if you don't know that's her most formidable opponent in the republican party in that state and he said something very interesting to me that basically backs up what you initially said he said that now that she's now that she's pretending to be a conservative to run for public office she should explain her silence and divest herself of this team and her past progressive advocacy. So what that tells me is one, she's an opportunist and she hasn't always openly expressed views like this. And she is specifically taking advantage of the climate of the situation and speaking to a specific base to win that party. So I can only, as mad as I am, I can only take her so seriously because you, like you said, this is a political move, but nonetheless, she did say some things in that Fox News interview that I was like, man, I, I thought she went too far. And it was the main thing that really kind of got to me was how she spoke about the Black Lives Matter movement and some of the phrases she used. And I was like, if you're going to if you're going to use the Trump playbook, 
you got it. You better know how to use it because it's very, very dangerous. And I feel like she just butchered this whole thing. A couple of things she said about the Black Lives Matter movement. She used the word anti-Semitic. I don't even know if that that's that doesn't make that makes no sense to me. And she said that they don't support the nuclear family, and she called it div- divisive. So last time I checked, everybody that is marching and protesting in the streets every day, it's all groups. It's not just black people, it's white, Hispanic, it's everyone. Everybody's marching every day together protesting this movement. So that does not look anti-Semitic to me, nor nor divisive, nor is that against anything about the family structure. Did not understand that. And she also called the movement anarchists and they, they want to dismantle the police. No, they don't want to dismantle the police. They just want them to be held accountable for what they do. And if they aren't doing what they're supposed to do, they just want it cleaned up. And we talk about this all the time. Defund does not mean erase. Dismantle does not mean erase. So I just think that, like you said, she was just speaking to the fan base. She knew the right trigger words to say. And I think if she don't win this election, it will blow up in her face. And rightfully so, she will never be able to recover from this. Well said. Well said. Well, JT, let's stay in basketball, but let's go to the NBA. So the NBA um, and several known NBA players will be sitting out the restart due to health reasons surrounding COVID-19. So among others, the list includes Wilson Chandler, Trevor Ariza, Avery Bradley, Davis Bertans, and Willie Cauley-Stein. Victor Aladipo will also miss the restart. And then Spencer Dinwiddie won't join the Nets in Orlando as he tested positive again for the coronavirus. And also players are considering, um, are worried about the bubble, particularly the mental and health risks that go with it. So, JT, will this NBA restart work in your opinion? Well, it depends on your definition of work. Also, too, uh, I don't think I really understood how shallow the NBA talent pool is. I see some of these guys that are being signed to replace the people that are opted out. I didn't even know Jabal Crawford was able to still play. And he's one of the first people that got a call. I think Michael Beasley's about to sign a contract. Uh, we're talking about J.R. Smith. Is like These are like guys I thought would never play in the league again. So I guess the NBA is pretty desperate. But if the goal of the NBA is just to restart the season and play, then yeah, it'll be successful. But I think what's going on that's not being talked about is I think they're forcing guys to go to the bubble, even if they're injured or they just don't want to go. Because I don't think I've heard this for a few other leagues, but I don't think that you correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think the NBA has agreed on how they're going to handle the salary structure. If, a person is supposed to report to the bubble and they choose not to. So you're, I hate to say you're wrong, but you're you say it all the time. Just go, <laughs> educate me. You say it all the time. So, so, all right. So Oladipo is not going. All right. Hold on, hold on. No, is no, he, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's not going to, to play. He's not he, going to play, but he's going to join the team to rehab. Correct. And he will get paid. All right. But again, that's his choice to go and rehab there. Okay, cool. That's my point. I think that's the part that's not getting talked about publicly, but it's sort of like an understood okay. agreement. If, you, is- if, if you're called to report to the bubble and you don't show up, 
I think they're, I think what the NBA is doing is they're kind of wink, wink, we're going to withhold your salary. Yeah. So uh, let me get to that. So if you don't want to join the restart, you don't have to travel and go. So Trevor Ariza is going to spend that time with his child because he's in a custody battle. So he has elected that, hey, my time with my son is more important than playing. So he does not have to travel. He said he's not going to play, so he does not have to join the team. Now you do sacrifice pay, all right? If you don't go, you don't show up to play, you don't get paid. How? What is wrong with that? Because remember, JT, they already got advanced money for not playing in April and May, all which right? They had, which they were kind of fighting about giving them that. Right, but it was within the contract, though. There's that yeah. force majeure clause that doesn't say – You just or wanted that to say says, that word. Yes, I did. That says they don't need to be paid if they don't play because there's no games because of a pandemic. Like, I, I don't understand. Hey, if I don't show – if you don't show up for work, you're not going to get paid. Like, wh why do you have a problem with that? So, so let me ask you a question. If I'm your employer and – your salary is guaranteed, but I'm like, you know what? You have to come work in this burning building or you don't get paid. At some point, we got to have, we gotta have an understanding. But remember, you're part of the NBA PA. The NBA PA agreed to this, if I'm, if I'm correct. Mm. The NBA did not force this on them like Major League Baseball. Chris Paul agreed to this. Hey, he's your union rep. Have it up with him then. Yeah, definitely. But to back to the original question, it's not safe, and it's it's worrisome because the players know it. Just look at Joel Embiid and other players that have come out and publicly, you know, said, look, we just don't feel comfortable. They don't trust guys to follow the rules and restrictions. They just, they just don't feel like – they know what's going to happen. They know the guys in the league. And also, too, as a player, I would feel unsafe from this, this thought process, too. The commissioner is the one that's pushing us to get down there and play and get this league restarted. And he's also the same one that's going to say, while you guys are quarantining this bubble and following all these rules, I'm going to be in and out of the bubble and nobody's checking me. Like that's like, who's watching the commissioner. That's dangerous. He could essentially be essentially be bringing this back into a community that's supposed to be quarantined from the rest of the world. So uh, this is to me, I don't see any way this could work. Yeah. Listen, I'm, I'm skeptical. I told you from the jump two things like, yes, I want there to be sports, but at the same time, I understand the concern of the players because of their, of the health. So I have more questions than answers here. Like what if a star catches the virus, JT, what happens? Cause you already like, said, once you're in the bubble, you got to be fully committed for the rest of the season. You can't leave unless that's changed. Well, what they would do is they would separate that player and put them in quarantine. But if, chances are, if he's in the bubble and he's already got it, there's more people that are going to be quarantined. Possibly. But also, like, what if this happens? What does the league do if it's LeBron or Giannis? Got to right? shut him down. And does that not taint the winner? Because what I'm starting to see is, and we see it in Major League Baseball, we see it in MLS, even within the bubble, somehow they're getting it. Like, because, just like I said, the players know other players aren't going to follow the rules. Right. Now – Again, like, I, I can't answer the question because safety of the players, in my opinion, is first. And I don't know, and no one knows what to expect, all right, in terms of health. However, I will defend the NBA here. Their protocol and manual 
supposedly is extensive and has been approved co- in like commanded, commended, sorry, commended by oh, medical being commanded to <laughs> by medical experts saying the NBA has thought of literally every possibility, like everything within the bubble. So, I mean, I've got to believe the medical experts there that, hey, the NBA has thought this through. Now, JT, I'm not sure, though, if once they're in the bubble, if they're stuck to it. I thought maybe they could leave. I'm not sure. But no, because I thought that they said that you once you commit to this restart, you're stuck there until the end. Okay. so listen, my thing, though, here is and I know you're saying like the pay part of the NBA is forcing it. Let me tell you this, JT. If the stars say no, there's no season because it makes it so much easier for all the other players to say no. So while oh, yes, that, that's what that's what Pat Bev so, says. So on ball, we balling. Right. So if you want to blame the NBA, that's fine. But some of the blame has also got to go on the players because if the superstars, Giannis, LeBron, Harden, stood up and said, You hey, basically blame Le- Let's just say LeBron. No, if, Le- if LeBron no, is playing, because if LeBron is not playing, everybody can just go home. If Giannis says he's not playing, I don't know if everybody necessarily goes home. It's LeBron. It's LeBron or nobody. That's true, but if all the stars get together and do it, it's nah, even but more it, but that's not how that's not how it works. It's LeBron gets together and everybody follows him. That's or fine. Somebody who's not as powerful as LeBron says, "I'm out," and then they're like, "All right, cool." It's still different. If LeBron played, but Giannis doesn't, if Harden doesn't, if Kawhi doesn't, go down the list. But they would if, never do that. Why not? If it's oh, that important and you're that worried, five five, five guys of that magnitude are not going to all come together and be like, all right, we're just not going to listen to what LeBron says. Well, then it goes to my point. Part of it is on the NBA. Part of it is on the players. All right. So in your opinion, what should the NBA do? Should they play or cancel? Easy. Cancel. Because it's obvious to everyone, this whole situation seems rushed. It's not safe. And this could backfire with major consequences if it doesn't go right. I think at this point, JT, they almost have to go forward. I mean, the players are in quarantine. They're in Disney. In Disney, they've already put in so much money into this. They've already taken the players away. You, you got to see what happens now. I mean, I, I don't see how they can just be like, "Nope, let's shut it down" without something major happening at this point. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's switch gears and go to these extra Corona topics. Let's keep these fast. All right. You never so, do. You never do. Uh, we were we have been talking a lot about uh, head-to-head duels in sports history. So, who you got for top head-to-head duel in a game or sport? Ooh. So, I've got two, of course. Bird, Larry Bird versus Dominique, Game Seven in the Garden, nineteen eighty-eight Eastern Conference Semifinals. Dominique puts up forty-seven. Larry puts thirty-four. Dominique scored fourteen in the fourth. Bird scored 20 of his 34 in the fourth. It was a 118-116 Celtics win. And April 15, 1985, JT, Hagler, Hearns, best round of boxing ever, round one. The fight went three rounds. Hagler won one of the greatest duels ever. They just stood in the middle of the ring throwing blows. All right. I only have one, but this was tough because there's so many. But uh, 
I guess the best head to head one time was I mean, how do you not go with Thriller Manila <laughs> October 1st? 1975. That's regarded as probably the best boxing match of all time. So if Frazier versus Ali, got to go with that. So sticking with head to head, let's just go with that same question over a career or a period of time. I go Magic Bird. It almost felt one of them was in the finals in the I 1980s. I felt like you were going to take this. So that's why I did not go that route. In the 1980s, every year. Felt like every year one of them was in the finals. Oh, wait. It did happen, JT. To win a title, you had to go through Boston or the Lakers. They faced each other three times. I mean, and they and that rivalry, this is what puts it over the top, and that rivalry saved the NBA. It got them to the Jordan years in the 90s. Shout out to you trying to become a comedian. Good timing. How? He was like, oh, they did. Good job. Ah, you they like that? Didn't even know you had that in you. <laughs> um, I had two. I stuck with the boxing one. Um, the Frazier and Ali three fights. I mean, those were pretty damn good. So I got to stick with that wheelhouse. And then just Brady versus Manning, just because that's always going to be the quarterback duel of like my childhood and like my early adulthood. Like the 17 matchups they had were just basically the NFL for that time period. But I like Magic and Bird too. That That is very true. So let's go to, I want a list from you. So you can give me up to three. So this list is the best team that never was. So I want to qualify this. So it's either teams, franchises, or potential dynasties that were cut short because of injuries or they were broken up too soon or whatever that fits into that wheelhouse. All right. So why don't we go back and forth? I'll do number three and then you do your number three and then I'll All go right. to, let's do it that way. So my number three is the Orlando magic in the mid nineties, Shaq and Penny. Cool. This is they- going to be personal. They were just getting started, and then Shaq left. So nothing really – the team could have been blamed for it too, but I got number three, the mid-'90s Orlando Magic. Oh, I can't can't fault you with that. I actually have any of those two World Series teams from the Marlins. I just don't understand how we couldn't keep it going. I know why, because I know the owner, but – (laughs) <laughs> only only the Marlins break up teams after a World Series. So you know that, the, the difference, though, JT? They actually won a title. So I don't know if you can say it, that never was. I guess if you want to say well, a, a dynasty. dynasty. Yeah, dynasty, okay. of course. Okay. Uh, okay. At least they still won one. But I got you. We won two. N- number two for me, Oklahoma City Thunder, man. The early 2010s. Okay, hey. see, I see, I see where you're going with this. You're, so let's clarify this. He's going to pick teams that never won it. Some of my teams have won it. I just think they could have won more. Okay, so you're go- so I'm doing both. I'm doing a team that never won it. I'm doing both, it, but, I, but, but so also, far that's what we're doing. I'm doing a team that never won it, but that could have easily been a dynasty. You're doing they won it, but should have been a dynasty, but it got cut short. That, that's fine, too. I go Oklahoma City Thunder. They were in the 2011 finals, KD, Russ, and Harden, and their ages, KD 22, Russ 22, Harden 21, but then Harden Harden was traded prior to the 2012 season. That basically killed that. Crushed any hopes of them having their own big three. So that's why I got the thunder at number two. They, They were there, couldn't win, should have been back. The trade crushed them. They basically got nothing in return. I like that. It's weird. We did not look at these lists at all because my number two has something to do with the Thunder too. It's actually KD. And it's KD with the Warriors because to uh, to be honest, if KD 
would have stayed with that team, they could have been the best dynasty in basketball history. They would have been better than the Bulls, in my opinion, because nobody in the league was even close to catching them when they had KD. So you're even saying you don't mind them losing that one to the Raptors because he was hurt, him and Clay? Yeah, well, that was the start of that. Well, Draymond was the start of it. But yeah, I mean, if he was fully locked in and he knew that's where he was going to stay, absolutely. I think that dynasty could have been the best of all time in basketball. Okay. All right. Well, my number one. It's probably something for Pittsburgh. I don't know if this necessarily would have been a dynasty, but they got cut too short for two reasons. The 94 Expos, they were 74 and 40 best record in baseball at the time of the strike. They had five all-stars. In my opinion, they probably win the World Series that year. I'm not saying. And then on the flip side, they got broken up, right, JT? So you get cut by the, the strike. That's, that's the first reason. The second reason is then all their players are gone, which they should have won 94 and then possibly on. But two things, the strike and all the, uh, the players leaving. Um, whether it was the team's fault, but I've got the 94 Expos, the best team that never was. All right. So I guess I, my number one's kind of similar to that situation. It's personal. It was personal to me then. It's personal to me now. Uh oh. And I'm, I'm pretty sure nobody gives a damn about them. <laughs> I think I know where it's going. Can I guess it's, it? You can guess it. Is it the heat when LeBron left? No, Ooh, no. Okay. I wanted to put them on this list. This is, this actually hurts more than that. It's the 95-96 Florida Panthers, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I, I can't stand them. I'm oh. so glad. Well, t- well, I know you can't stand them because it was the year of the rat, and we were the three seed, and we went all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. And You beat my Penguins with you and Yager. Yeah, so I just, this is to me, this is one of the most baffling things in sports history that nobody talks about. And we, obviously, we went to the Cup that year against a loaded Avalanche team that had some Hall of Famers on it. We lost, obviously. Okay. It was also the coach's first year in the team. So the fact that he got you that far in your first year and we lost to this team, okay, you can get a pass. But they broke that team up way too soon. And just look who was on that team. You had Van Beesbrook, uh, Rob Niedermeyer, Ed Jovanovsky, who at the time I loved because I think he was only 19. He was already one of the best, like, up-and-coming defensemen in the league. Like, the whole Jovo Cop thing was Jovo Cop, yep. It was a thing here in South Florida. I think I even had a Jovo. That was jersey. everywhere. That was everywhere. We hated Jovo yes, Cop. Beast. And you think about other guys they had on that team, like uh Martin Strzok, uh, uh Dvorak, Stu Barnes, Paul Laws, who would just knock anybody out. They had four guys, I believe, that were taken in three straight years within the top ten in the NHL draft. So that just lets you know the type of talent that was young and you know, the right mix of some veterans they had on that team. And I just don't understand why the, they got rid of the coach, Doug McClain, who I personally like. They got rid of him too soon. He only coached two and a half years of the team. His first year, obviously, he lost in the Stanley Cup. The next year, he lost in the quarters as a three-seed again. And then the third year, they fired him 23 games into that season. And I'm like, okay, it's because Wayne Heisig is the owner, so uh, cut that short. But, yeah, to me, that's that's the best it never was because if they would have kept that team together with that coach and they would have grown, I definitely think they could have turned into a little mini dynasty. Eh, I don't know. You had the Red Wings still around then. I, it would have been tough. It Look, been man, tough. hey, that's, they, could, they could have only got better. Your first year with this coach and this young core, you go to the cup? Come on. You got to remember, too, Van Beesbrook. And at the time, the system with the league rules, though, JT, things were changing because – 
that was the perfect storm for the Panthers with what they have, the neutral zone trap with Van Beesbrook basically standing on his head every game against the Penguins. It would have been hard to So do. clearly, clearly either he don't think this team was that good or he's just still sour. Both. <laughs> Both. <laughs> Listen, JT, you, you took that very personal. You took that very personal. Like the Godfather says in Godfather 1, it's not personable. It's not personal. It's business. Come on, man. You took that, that was bad business. They haven't been the same since. <laughs> the Panthers. JT, I think we got to keep these extra Corona topics going even once live sports uh, come back. What do you think? No, for sure. All right. All right. I like that. We got, I got that on record. So, fans, if we don't have extra Corona topics, it is his fault. But we got that on record. So, JT, great episode. To the listeners out there, thank you for listening as always. And remember to please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, and whatever platform you find all of your other favorite podcasts. And remember, if you like what we do, leave us a five-star review. And JT, if you don't like what we do, leave us a five-star review. And also, please follow us on social media, our handle, at JT in the dawn. We can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So, JT, again, great job. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And, JT, until the next episode, see ya. Peace.